You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our very last podcast episode for 2019 for the Small Nonprofits Alliance Small But Mighty podcast. I'm here with Bianca Crocker, founder of the Alliance. Hi, Bianca. Hi, Kirsty. It's um, yeah, it's really great to be here on our um, our last podcast for the year. And I'm Kirsty Wallet, founding partner of the Alliance and our head of marketing. And yes, I couldn't agree more. I don't know where the year's gone, Bianca. And, I know. Um, yeah, it's December already, and I can't believe we're doing our last podcast episode for the year. I know. It, um, yeah, it's just I feel like people say this a lot, but this year in particular it does feel like it's disappeared really quickly. Um, but I think it's all been, you know, lots of promising things that have been happening um, with the Alliance and with our podcast, and we've been getting some really good feedback. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about um, this particular podcast today um, and how we are going to be, you know, giving some more tips. Yes, so today we're going to talk about our top five tips to kickstart your nonprofit in 2020. So obviously this is a big time of year for winding down, winding back that work, actually having a break over Christmas and New Year, hopefully, and then getting excited, I think, and thinking about, what you might like to achieve in 2020 and actually hopefully taking these tips and doing some real planning for that and not planning as in days and days of, you know, writing long, arduous documents, but some really quick and easy things that can help you start 2020 on the right foot, I suppose. So I might throw to you, Bianca, what's your number one for our first tip to kickstart your small nonprofit in 2020. Yeah, so my first one um, for uh, for kickstarting the 2020 year is is in regards to your appeal. So most organisations, even the smaller ones, are doing appeals or campaigns throughout the year, and traditionally we might do direct mail appeals. So we're sending letters out to our supporters in the post. Uh, but more and more so organisations are doing it via email and in particular a lot of smaller organisations are doing that. So my first tip um, to really start planning your year is to make sure you plan out those dates in advance. So, you know, in January, um, that's one of the first things I would really be doing. Uh, Ideally, you'd have a bit of a, you know, calendar or something anyway of what you're planning to do. But I know that that's not really always possible with a small organisation. So this is really just about thinking about what you're going to do, looking at the dates in the calendar for the year and blocking out the time to do them because appeals do take up a bit of our time. They need focus when we're writing the content um, and preparing the stories for what we're going to tell people about the great work that we're doing in our organisations. But we really want to make sure... um, we allow time to do that and then time for the appeals to go out so they're not so rushed, Uh, time for a follow-up as well. It's really important. If you aren't doing follow-ups with your appeals, whether they're e-appeals or direct mail appeals, it's something to really consider. Um, If budget is a bit of a challenge and you are doing direct mail appeals, you can always do a follow-up via email. Um, So it doesn't have to all be on the post. But doing some follow-ups about three, three and a half weeks after the first 
round of um, stories go out, that's a really great option. So that would probably be my key first tip. And I suppose really people don't need to be churning out the appeals, particularly when they're small. Is it just about maybe picking even two or three throughout yeah. the year? Yeah. So, yeah. So when I'm saying it, doing your appeals, it doesn't, I mean, some organisations just do one a year. Um, you know, some of the larger organisations are doing four or more. Uh, I would suggest, though, if you can do two, that's really great. Um, the organisation that I'm on the board with, we do two each year. It's a small organisation. Um, we do two each year. So, and and the other thing I'd say as well is don't feel like you always have to just fit in with you know, with the social norms of fundraising and do a Christmas appeal and a tax appeal, um, you know, that's generally speaking the bigger times for giving in the not-for-profit world, but you need to do something that fits with your organisation. So for that organisation that I was just talking about, we are an international development organisation, it's Indigo Foundation, and we do a we do do a tax appeal because that for our supporters has some, been something that's always been important. That's for us the biggest one. But we were doing a Christmas appeal for a while, but we sort of realised a few years ago that that's not particularly relevant to our beneficiaries or to the work that we do. We work in a lot of countries where Christmas isn't really even a big deal. It's not necessarily the, um, you know, the main focus for their end of year or in terms of religions as well. So we now... Um, do something at a similar time, but we do a Human Rights Day appeal because that Human Rights Day is at um, the 10th of December. So it really fits in with the work that we do and with our mission um, and therefore it connects better with our supporters. So they really do connect with our Human um, Day rights, Human Rights Day, sorry, appeal that we do now. But, you know, it is, you know, it's really important to have a think about what special days are out there that you could um, piggyback off that sort of newsworthy approach um, and see. But if, if your organisation, you know, if you know the date that your organisation started and it was, I don't know, on the 10th of March or something, you might want to do, you know, an annual birthday appeal or something like that. It really, you know, have a little bit of fun with it and play with it. But um, you definitely don't need to do a lot of appeals. And I would say the reason I say two is great if you can is mainly from your supporter base perspective. Um, if they don't, it depends on what else you're doing, but to not hear from someone for a 12 month period is quite a long period. So you want to keep people engaged. And obviously, if you're sending two appeals, um, you're at least engaging with them every six months. And hopefully, you'd be sending some other sort of engagement content um, around that as well. That makes total sense um, to be talking to people regularly, but I think people will be relieved to hear that they don't have to be doing, you know, millions of appeals and, con and, and, and you know, lots of content um, no. throughout the year, particularly if their resourcing is an issue. Uh, your tip leads into my um, our second tip, which yep. is more around marketing and social media, and I think they um, pair up really well together. And mine is to have an events planner or a calendar for all of your uh, external activity, which would include appeals as well. Uh, so people can feel a bit overwhelmed by doing a calendar because, oh, my God, it's 365 days a year and how do I um, find the time to jot all of that down? This is exactly the same. It doesn't have to be overly 
sophisticated in terms of the document and it doesn't have to be uh, a long document. Mm. But my tip is more around having a look at those awareness days throughout the year. As you mentioned, that might be relevant to you um, and working in what activity you can do around those days. Um, another example of a day you could work around would be we've just had Giving Tuesday after the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales. And that was quite big in Australia this year compared to previous years, which is great news for small yeah. nonprofits because yeah. it's easy to get involved digitally with something like that. So that's an example. Um, I think if you've got time uh, and de delving a little bit uh, deeper and look at when are you going to send email newsletters if you send them. Uh, I know with small organisations, again, that can be really hard to send them regularly, but can you send them quarterly? Uh, can you send them bi-monthly? So you really could, uh, you don't even have to use an Excel spreadsheet. You could jot it down on one A4 page, the months, and just dot point what you're going to do in each month. Um, if you Google Awareness Days, you get a big list, Awareness Days Australia, Awareness Days Globally. That's what I used to do when I worked in-house at uh, yeah. Charity, was yeah. um, really churn through all of those days and find out what might be relevant. That way then you can sort of tie into what marketing channels will you use for those things, and that's why I think it's important to lay it out. So, again, it doesn't need to take you a lot of time, but you can just put in brackets next to each item, um, Facebook post, um, email newsletter, um, tweet, um, you know, direct mail appeal, etc. So that would be my tip as well. And I think it's so important. Um, you know me, Bianca. I'm not naturally a huge planner. <laughs> so, so this is like shows how important I think this tip is. I think the secret behind doing a planner like this, and we've said this before on other podcast episodes, and I have banged on about it in particular. Uh, I just think it frees up your brain. If you've got a list, it's the same as doing a to-do list if you've got a lot of jobs to do. It just kind of lets you free up your thinking and, and helps you actually get on with the doing of doing yeah, the list. I agree um, with and that what, so much, especially with a to-do list. I have a to-do list every day, personally, professionally, you know, just when I've got stuff to do. Um, and I'm one of those real nerdy to-do list people where if I – person I'm, I, yeah. but let me assure everybody out there I'm not a list person and I have found it is the way to do it is the painless way to do it is to become a list person when it comes to getting things done with your organization I think so yeah I agree I'm a little funny I sometimes will write a list and if I've so say if I write my list at 10 a.m and I've already done something at 9 a.m I'll write that thing on my list just so I could cross it off <laughs> <laughs> it really is your personality. Like I'm on the other end of um, this chat. Thinking, Why would somebody get pleasure out of that? But that shows the difference in our personalities and that's okay. Everybody operates differently. But I think I'm trying to let anybody know who doesn't know us personally, but that even if you're not a list person, doing this planner for the 12 months, sticking to an A4 page so it feels achievable and, yeah. and incorporating your advice about the appeals in there will just start your year off so fantastically. And things are going to change and that's okay, but at least you've got it down in black and white. You can stick it on your wall um, yeah. and, and you're less likely to forget things or to have to do things at the last minute and feel really stressed about it as well, I think. so. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. The other thing is um, 
I've seen at the shops um, a little bit, you know, like you can get those mini whiteboards and they'll have the year calendar. You know, I know you can get really big ones, but I've seen mini ones where you can get um, the whole year sort of and a few boxes for each um, month onto a mini whiteboard. And even that sort of thing is a good idea because then as it changes, you can easily just cross it out and write something else on the whiteboard and move it around. But it's it's your idea of saying just one page is really important because I think it's easy you don't want it, you know, that you have to put it in the drawer. You want it up somewhere visually where you can easily just have a glance at it and, and see where you're at and, and where you're heading. I think it's really important. Yep. Yeah, that's a great idea. And you would definitely come up with that tip because you, I feel like you're a stationary person too. You're a list of stationary. <laughs> and I am not. I wish they, I was. They go hand in hand, the two. They really do. They do. I'm sure there are lots of people listening that are like, uh-huh, I'm a stationary person. <laughs> um. So yeah, I think that's a really that's really good. And the other thing I was going to just add to what you were saying about year events and things is where possible, I'd even put third party events on there. So for those of you that may not know, a third party event, um, I mean you definitely would be probably doing them, but a third party event is what we sort of give the title to for those events that other people are organising on our behalf. So you might have a friend or you know, a local business doing a barbecue or a trivia night or any of those sorts of things that you're not organising, where you know about them, I would always add them on there because usually if you know about them, if the person's told you about them beforehand, they will want something or they will, you know, need something from you in the lead up. So it might get a little bit busy, but even if they don't, it's good for you to know. So you can actually remember just to touch base with them a few days before to wish them good luck or let them know that you're there if they need anything and then to follow up as well. So I'd even include those sorts of things um, on that um, planner as well. That's a great idea. And it, and it really saves you plotting somebody something else in around that time or plotting another event in around that time where if you're the only person doing all the legwork or you've got a very small committee that could actually add stress and make that job that you have to do a little bit harder so uh, that would also help you to spread out your time and resources throughout the year too yeah definitely so Bianca what's your third tip (sighs) well you might laugh at my third tip because it's also a little bit about planning Um, But it's a different sort of planning and it's in regards to our grant writing. So most of our organisations, you know, are hoping to get grant funding and um, we did a webinar recently on grant writing, which, you know, um, we had a number of people register for and come along, which was, you know, people are interested in this space. So I think the grants um, calendar is really important and I would make this a separate calendar to the other ones just because you do need a little bit more information on there Uh, and it doesn't have to be anything complex. One of the biggest challenges or, yeah, obstacles, I guess, for people that write grants for their organisations is they they'd run out of time. Even though it sounds like a silly thing to say, make sure you know the deadline, so many times that becomes a blocker and someone says, I can't do it, I can't write that grant now because I don't have enough time. When when in effect, unlike events where there's a lot of um, variables and stuff, grants is really pretty much straightforward in terms of the dates and the timelines. The funders set their dates usually at the beginning of the year, if not earlier, and they usually say at the same time each year, maybe not exactly the same date, but around the same time. So, you know, uh, one particular funder might have theirs every December, another one might do them in May and October. You know, they generally are. They generally have some systems to them because they their whole organisation runs around those functions. Having a grants calendar 
um, ready at the start of the year really enables you to see what grants are out there for you and what you might be able to apply for and what you might be eligible for um, in advance. So it's a really simple way I do it. I use an Excel spreadsheet. I do some research around what grants are available, and there's a number of places you can do that. The um, Grant Centre, um, our community's Grant Centre, online funding place is a great um, re- resource. I think it's $80 for the year to get their emails each month, and they're some of the most comprehensive um, grants, funding, emails, and information I've probably ever seen. Um, but there are another, you know, Grants Hub is another one, and there's a few others out there that do similar things. Philanthropy Australia is another place. But have a bit of, spend a bit of time at the start of the year looking at what grants are out there that you may be eligible for. So if you're an animal organisation, obviously you're going to look at the ones that fund animal or um, welfare or something like that. Um, and jot them all down into the Excel spreadsheet. And what you just need to do is have each month laid out in its own column, so January through to December, and then I can see it. So, again, at a glance, I can see, okay, next month we've got two grants that we may likely be eligible for. And what I'm always doing in my grants calendars is looking two months ahead. So in January, I start looking at February and March because I want to know what's coming up, when they're going to be due, do we have time to do them. And then as the year goes on, you can look at what's due, look at all your other priorities that you have in terms of your other events or appeals work, and you can prioritise them. Because the other thing you can do with grants is you can always prepare them earlier, dare I say it, um, if if you are, you know, if you know that the end of June is going to get really busy, but there's a really important grant that you'd like to get done in June, well, you can actually prepare it in May and just put it aside. And then once the grant round opens, you can submit it online or however, you know, however they like to be received. So I really think setting some time separately to your other planning for planning for your grants is a really, really important tip. That's a great tip. And um, we might drop into the episode notes for today some of the links to those websites where you can sign up for the notifications and get alerts for those grants because they're such a fantastic resource and they do half the job for you really, don't they? They do. They do. They're really good. I know we, um, we've we been including in our uh, big news for small nonprofits emails for our members each month. We've been including a grant in there that we think suitable for many small charities. So, but these other ones that I mentioned, that's the sole work of what they do. So, they've, so they have some really great um, information to access to see what's out there. Fantastic. Um, so, my next tip, which is our fourth tip, to kickstart 2020 is to have a look at your social media posts from this year, from 2019, and find out what worked. So I think this is something that people don't get a lot of time to do, which I completely understand. Um, So this is the time of year to do it where maybe you might have a little bit more time or even early January. I think this is really important to do for a couple of reasons. Most people are operating on a really simple strategy and hopefully you've got a social media strategy. Um, If you don't, it's something you should really get into place and it it only needs to be something simple. Um, And we have a whole lot of resources on smallnonprofits.com.au Uh, about social media strategy and how you can plan out something simple but it's the perfect way to review what you've been doing and to find out if it's actually working and further to that what content people like 
you can't churn out the same content all the time. Like we'd all love to post photos of puppies and babies doing funny things, but that doesn't get across our message. So, um, but it's about finding out what was most popular during the year for your audience and giving them more of that where you can. So the best way to do that, it depends what platform we're dealing with, but um, Instagram had some really good insights into the each post you can go into the view each it's got a little view insights button at the bottom of it that you can see when you're an admin. Um, that is only available if you're a business page. So if you're on Instagram as your organization and you're a personal profile, you really need to change that ASAP and um, change to a business account because that's going to give you so much more in terms of insight and flexibility. Uh, and then on Facebook, which is what most of you will be on really easy to jump into the insights and have a look um you can scroll down the page and it will show all the posts from the year in the post section you'll be able to see what the reach was what the actual engagement was in terms of likes and comments um be really careful with the reach uh number because that's we don't still don't really know how facebook calculates that that's how many people they claim saw the post, but it's also people who scrolled past and didn't pay any attention to it. So <laughs> um, so just look at the real interaction, the likes, the comments, the shares, the link clicks, however people have engaged with that um, post. I mean, it'll be fairly obvious what's been popular and what hasn't, but what is, and you might notice that from a week-to-week basis as you're posting things, you think on a Friday, gee, that post I did Tuesday um, about our um, latest service that we're offering or a family that we helped um, or a change we've made to how people can volunteer for us. You might have realised in that week that that was a great post and people responded well, but I'm sure it's in one ear and out the other now that the year has finished and you've done so many more things within your organisation. So um, just make some notes. Again, just do a one-pager pick out your top five posts and really have a look at what you think those five posts have in common in terms of why they were popular. Um, A lot of the time I can tell you what is really popular with people, really interesting genuine photos that show the real work that you're doing in your organisation, maybe um, the ones that show your staff or you or the inspiration behind your organisation. Video always does really well. Um, Posts that are really genuine and clear Um, so take a little bit of time and you could probably do it in half an hour. So give yourself half an hour to review your social media posts for 2019 and really find out what worked and do more of that in 2020. So Kirsty, just a question on that, because I know, um, when I look in the insights from time to time, it does only seem to allow you to look at a the last month if that's right but but I noticed that you said if you have to go into the post section specifically is that is that what you were saying yes you can go further back than that you you need to be on a desktop or a laptop to do it yeah and you'll be able to go into the more detailed insights to do that you and sometimes you'll need to set the date as well um, in that region if you're wanting to download a bit of a report as well um, yeah. and set it to some custom dates. But you can definitely see further back than a month for sure. But yeah, um, right. you, 
sometimes mobile limits how much you can see. So um, yeah. always best to be on the Facebook pages app and not the personal Facebook app because there is a difference between the functionality and those two as of the last couple of months. Thanks, Facebook, for making things even trickier. And, um, yes, you can definitely go back further than a month. Yeah, the Pages app is a, is a good app specifically if you are managing pages. I, I do, I know that, you know, we use that for the Alliance and, and I've got those ones on my phone. It does make it a bit easier. But like you said, using, f to look into some more detail in the insights, using it on a laptop or, you know, PC or whatever um, is a good way to make sure you're getting all that information, I guess, thoroughly. Yes, and unfortunately, Facebook have designed it so that some functionality isn't available on mobile. Um, I don't yeah. know why, but, um, yeah, you will be able to see more if you're on a desktop. Yeah, okay. And should people um, look at their likes and, you know, and things like that, how their page has grown or not grown or whatever over the year as well, or is it more just about making sure you build the engagement and then the likes will come? So, so sure. I mean, look, I always tell people to err, err on the side of caution with the popularity contest that is social media. I mean, we know that this year both Facebook and Instagram got rid of the amount of likes on posts. So when we look now, when other people look at your organisation's posts, they don't know how many people have liked it. They can only um, see if it was popular in terms of comments um, and it can see that it has some likes. It, I mean, you can see if a post has none. Um, but it's really more, I think, about who you're reaching rather than that popularity contest of 100 likes on your page or 1,000. Mm. Obviously, um, the more likes you have on a page, the more your credibility increases. So it is important to devote some time to growing the page, definitely. Um, but I know, Bianca, we've had this discussion before in regards to Fish Community Solutions, which is your fundraising consultancy page. Um, it has a small but very active audience yeah. on Facebook yeah. um, and we know that your audience is a very niche audience particularly in the Facebook space so we're happy with the amount of likes the page has and we're more about looking at how many people see those posts and how many people engage with them and how many people visit your website via Facebook so I think it's about being a little bit strategic about how important that is it's definitely good to go into insights and see how many likes you've increased on the page overall in 2019. And if you want to set yourself a goal for 2020, by all means do that. But I wouldn't be hanging your hat just on that number. It is definitely more important to have people see your content, particularly as a small nonprofit. It's about your mission and what you do for the community. And you're just not going to communicate that to 100,000 people who like your page but might not be interacting with your posts, which is a common problem on Facebook these days. I mean, you yourself as a user will notice that you can um, go and look at a page, and I saw one just the other day for a, um, a consumer business, which shall remain nameless, while I was doing some online Christmas shopping, and they had 50,000 people who liked the page, and they were getting one and sometimes no likes on their posts. So, yeah. I mean, it's really about the engagement you're getting on the individual posts, I would say. And always best when you're a small organisation to focus on where you're getting the most bang for your buck. And I think it's in, in engagement. So, to me, that's a little bit more important. Yeah. And I'm sure if you're the one running the page, you'll know that you've gone up 50 people in the year because you're probably watching it like a hawk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. In it. Very true. Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, that's a really, um, really good tip to you know 
because especially the other three that we've talked about have been about planning and, you know, you can't really um, always just be looking forward. In order to look forward and improve, you need to look back a little bit. So the tip around reviewing your social posts and, and how you've done over the year is really good to learn yeah. what's working and how you can move forward. So, And I think it's good to be able to review any work that you're doing, particularly Absolutely. with your marketing work during the year. But the reason why I picked out the social media posts is because social media more than anything else, more than email marketing, more than website development, it changes the most rapidly within a 12-month period. So that's mm. why I think it's good to go back and review it. So there yeah. was a method behind my madness there. No, I think that's great. I think it's um, it's great, yeah. Um, and we've got a fifth one last tip. We do, um, and we, we agreed on this one when we were discussing about what we should chat on for this podcast. And I think it's probably the most important, or we both agreed it was the most important, and and we both brought it up separately. So yeah, it was pretty funny how we we both thought we'd do three tips each, and um our yeah we had one on each of our um things that was the same. Tip number five is all about wellness, isn't it? Actually, yeah. have a break and prevent burnout in twenty twenty, and start fresh and inspired. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know. For me, that sort of means, you know, spending some time with your family and friends, um, keeping that laptop closed for a good few days, if not at least a week, um, at least the days between the Christmas and New Year if you can. I know there's temptations to, you know, to because you have got the downtime, sometimes people are like, oh, well, I've got the time now, I might do it. But it's it's really important, I think, just to have the time away from the electrical goods in terms of your um, computers and even your phone and I know it's you know it's a bit hard sometimes to put the phone away completely because we use them for so many things now but you know I sometimes when I want to take some time out I'll put my phone I'll turn all my notifications off um, and I'll leave it so someone can ring me if I need it so a friend or family member or whatever can contact me but you know, you just put it away, put it on the bench when you're sitting in the, at the kitchen table or, you know, put it on the coffee table when you're sitting on the other side of the lounge room or something like that, just so it's not so easy because I, you know, I, I know that I do look at my phone a lot and whether it's work-related or just, oh, I thought about saying, oh, that's right, I was going to quickly look something up on the internet, so I'll do that now. It's really good to have to have it. I mean, you know, if you're an outdoorsy person, getting away for a day or two, um, is something you can do. Going camping is a really great way to um, get away from the technology stuff because sometimes you're in a place where you don't have a choice because you've got no signal, which is a bit of a forced thing, but that works well for me. <laughs> um, so what about yourself, Kirsty? What sort of things do you try and do to, to um, have a break? Well, I am, as you know, a real technology lover, so it is very hard for me to have a break. I recently went to Sydney for two days with my family, and that was the first time I didn't take my laptop somewhere with me in the eight years that I've worked for myself. Mm. So um, that includes overseas holidays, that includes yep. weekends away anywhere. Yep. So um yeah, I did the yeah. same in September when I went to Thailand. But that was the first time I've been um, on a holiday and not taken my laptop as well, which was um, which was amazing. The, the t I was only away for a week, but it felt yeah. like a year. <laughs> so I think I completely understand how hard it is. And I think the other reason why we put this tip in here is because we really know um, and we've been able to talk and meet a lot of our members this year as well. And we know that really uh, the majority, if not all of you, 
are running a passion project. So you love what you're doing in your small nonprofit and it's your passion and you're living it and it's your life. And so I think that's why it's so hard for people to let go and have a break sometimes. Um, And that was why we really wanted to talk about it because we're both passionate about what we do too, but nobody's any good to anybody work-wise or otherwise if they're burnt out. Um, And I think some people are better at the self-care than others. I am notoriously bad at it. Um, so I have to work really hard to have the break. And also because, um, you know, one of the things that I love doing and I love my work in social media. And so I love social media as a user as well. I mean, I'm, I love Instagram and, um, to me, it's relaxing to be on Instagram and I try and have breaks from it anyway. I wouldn't call myself an addict, but over Christmas and New Year, I have to try really hard. And I suppose the way that I do it given that I love technology and I, and, and I find it relaxing um, to, you know, be on my laptop writing or be on my phone, um, the way that I do it is to schedule stuff ahead. Again, I'm not the planning organised person naturally, but I do it for the Christmas and New Year period and I don't open my laptop and I have that rule really firmly. And, you know, it took me years to do it. It was only when um, I had a quieter year client-wise a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago, Um, And I went home to my parents' farm. Um, I mean, they have plenty of phone service and internet there, so that doesn't help me. Um, But I had a bit of a break because I really didn't have a lot to do. Mm. And I felt so relaxed. And it wasn't until I did it that I realised, actually, no, even though I think I'm enjoying and it's recreational for me being on social media or doing some writing on my laptop, you actually do need to give your Mm. brain a break from that as well. So I've been a big advocate of it ever since and so I would encourage you if you're going to do anything um, have any social media posts over the period which you might want to do one or two just to keep you know things ticking over that schedule it ahead try and prevent going on social media a lot of people are going to be doing the same thing and really if you're the kind of person that needs a bit of encouragement then tell somebody close to you I think like a friend or a family member I'm really trying hard to not open my laptop and look at my emails today. Like for me, it'll be impossible to not use my phone much because I kind of enjoy doing it. I also love to do a bit of photography with my yeah, um, that's the tricky part for me. My fancy <laughs> iPhone as well. So I'm still going to use my phone, but I also tell my sister a lot of the time, like, don't let me do this, that, and the other, and she's very good at helping me. So I think get some outside help if you need it as well. Yeah, and that um, gives some accountability as well because then it's someone else will know that or even sometimes the fact that you've just told that other person will make you be a bit, a bit more accountable to, to doing what you what you set out to do. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's a little bit like a news resolution. Some people are really good at sticking to it when they decide to do it. But if you're like me and you're thinking there's no way I can do that or I'm too busy or I don't really want to because that's totally all the things I've said to myself over the years, um, then just start really slowly, like just start Christmas Day and Boxing Day. Just yeah. do those two days and then yeah. go from there. And you might feel great at the end of those two days and want to do a couple more days. Or yeah. um, maybe you'll just make a rule that you won't look at email, but you might respond to text messages and you might do a bit of um, journaling or planning um, if your head feels clear for 2020 or writing in your notebook or something like that if it's work-related. Yeah. So I think start off small and, and work up if it's something that you yeah. find um, and definitely the emails we hadn't we would we sort of focused a lot on social media I said but I think the emails is really important as well again because you can get them to your phones but you know most people are taking time off over this period so that's the advantage that we should 
take as well. Like we're probably most of us, you know, there are few exceptions on some charities and the work that they do that they're actually busy at this time. But most organisations, people are, you know, spending time with their family, chilling out a bit more. So they're not going to be asking for a lot or contacting you. So put your out of office signature in there, your auto out of office and, Turn off your notifications for your emails to your phone and, you know, put your phone on airplane mode a couple of times maybe even. That's not a bad – that's a little trick that I sometimes do, um, you know. But I think it's – yeah, I think those sorts of things are really important. Everybody, um, you know, and you can always have in your out-of-office, you know, if, if you need me and it's urgent, you can call me on this number and I'll get back to you. But um, most things generally are not urgent. They can be dealt with a week later. And that's something I think that's made me think about um, something where I've had the old clients say, you know, shouldn't we take advantage of Boxing Day sales and people wanting to do some shopping and shouldn't I send something out between Christmas and New Year on the email because people will have the downtime and they'll check their emails or I think people really need to really take a step back and look from the outside in um, and it can be really hard because you get really close to your passion and your organisation when you're small. Um, but really look at whether, as you said, Bianca, it is really vital that you do that communication at Christmas time because you may have sent an email out in the past on Boxing Day and it did well in terms of donations or support, but it also may do just as well at another time of the year. There are very few organisations um, other than organisations that maybe deal with homelessness over the, the Christmas period or um, some of those more social issues around Christmas time. There are very few organisations that I can think of that would really need to be active around this time mm. of year. So I think it's really important to just try and step back and have a look at, you know, is it really important or am I just box ticking? You know, give yeah, yourself yeah. a break, be a bit more strategic and free up some of your time. And hopefully um, following that, start 2020 feeling really refreshed and honestly once you've had a rest and a break I find I've found and I know um other people I've discussed this with in the past find that you actually do your best work after you've had a break yeah absolutely absolutely yes I think that's great really good good tips there Kirsty yes so there are our top five tips for Kickstarting 2020 in your small non-profit. We hope that you'll be able to take something from our last podcast for 2019 and make your work and life a little bit easier over the next month or so and into the next year. And we just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone for the support of the Small Nonprofits Alliance this year. Uh, this has been the first year of our Small But Mighty podcast and the response has been fantastic. Um, we really have been surprised at how many listeners that we've had listening to episodes and coming back episode after episode. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, it's been fabulous. It has been, I think surprising is a great word, pleasantly surprising. Um, so, yeah, it's been fabulous and we're always happy to take suggestions or recommendations. So if you, your organisation would love to be part of our podcast, um, just, you know, get in touch with us. That would be wonderful. Uh, or if you know somebody else that's doing something in the space um, and doing something really mighty in a small organisation, uh, feel free to put their contact details or, or some advice to us and we can follow up on that. And on that note, we want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, uh, happy whatever you celebrate at this time of year and 
a safe and happy new year with your loved ones. Um, we know this year, time of year can be hard for some people, so we wish those people as well a nice, restful, um, content period. And again, we can't thank you enough for your support in 2019. Yeah, thanks so much, everyone. And um, all the best for a fruitful and fabulous 2020. Thank you, everyone. And we hope to have you back here in 2020 for our January episode of Small But Mighty.